0: Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. And friends, today we are going to be talking about the 2022 State of Modern Philanthropy Report with Crystal Lamp. Krista is the Senior Director of Brand, Events, and Communications at Classy, which, as you probably know, is a giving platform that connects supporters to the causes they care about. Now, Krista actually spearheaded this report, so she spearheaded the work on it and ultimately ended up really making sure that it was produced in a way that it's usable for you in your own nonprofit. And this report looks at data trends across the entire Classy platform. And what does that mean, you might ask? Well, essentially, it means that they took 12 million donations from over 54,000 campaigns. And so not a random sample because they're all in the Classy platform, but it will certainly give you some good information that you can use regardless of who your CRM is. Hey, Krista, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Dolph. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, thank you. And I've, I've spent some time on this report. First of all, um, I love beautiful charts and graphs. And you have some beautiful, easily read, easily understood charts and graphs that drive home your main point. So I loved like reading and going through your report.
1: I, I love to hear that. Um, typically this report is a PDF and it was the first year we put it on an interactive webpage and I will give a huge shout out to our brand designers who had a lot of fun with the data and made it really distilled down into charts that are easy to understand for everyone.
0: I, I love it. I will show you that the only thing I did not love about it being, um, an interactive website is it meant that I could not download it so I could refer to it later. So as I had to bookmark it so I can refer to it later.
1: But that's good feedback. Good to know.
0: <laughs> well, I, and I'm, I don't i do not say that to be critical, but I, I will say like I am one of those weirdos that will like pull a report, read it. And then I'm working with a client and be like, wait, didn't I read this somewhere? And then I have to go find it. But if it's, you know, like you, I use a Mac and they have such an amazing finder that I can find almost anything I need on my Mac, um, even though there's millions of files on it.
1: And I will tell you, this report is a doozy. There is over a hundred different data points in it. So even I I think bookmarking is smart because I've read it time and time again. And every time I read it and I'm super familiar with the the data, I get something new out of
0: it. So with a hundred data points, I I don't want to flood our listeners with data. So with a hundred data points, what's the big takeaway or headline, if you could only choose one for this year's report? Oh, That is such a
1: good question. I will not give you a non-answer because my non-answer is that what we learned through this is that there's not a one-size-fits-all approach for fundraising. Um, but if I had to pick one big, big data point, I would say that events are back. We knew they were going to come back. We saw them. Uh, you know, really decrease and nonprofits have to navigate during the pandemic what to do with events, especially when a majority of their fundraising was maybe raised at one gala or one 5k or something like that. And what we saw through this is um, events are back, people are participating, and events are converting donors at a very high rate as well.
0: Absolutely. And I'll share with you, it's my sense, I think a lot of our listeners would probably think about one of those takeaways, and, and I read that in the headline on the webpage too, that, okay, there's not a one-size-fits-all approach. And I think a lot of our listeners might think, okay, that's not new, but events are back. Like, that's big news. That's really big news.
1: Yeah, I think we knew they were coming back. So this wasn't a huge surprise to me, but they were, if we look at our 2021 data as compared to 2020, 2020 excuse me, they um, grew the most, year over year, which we we knew that. We knew it was coming. I don't think we knew how quickly it was coming back. And then um, events with peer-to-peer, so events where someone could actually raise and ask their friends to donate on behalf of your organization was our highest converting campaign type. It had um, about a 50%, 47% conversion rate. So we know that people that are coming to events, people that are fundraising on behalf of an event are bringing in highly motivated donors. So um, I think that's a good thing for all of us.
0: I agree 100% and and I also have to reflect I think I think first of all there's some pent up demand for events so after 2 years of us all staying home and trying not to open our door and go outside and see people yeah you know, those of us that are natural extroverts or you know even people that are you know kind of in the middle are just like yeah I want to go to events I want to go see people and have fun and and support the causes I care about
1: Definitely. I think we've all all been craving it. I think nonprofits have done a good job of creating virtual events, engaging people in an online way over the past couple of years. And what we're seeing now Um, and this is more anecdotal versus what we saw in the report, but what we're seeing as a trend now is people are bringing events back in person. We've already talked about that and the data and and how that's being supported through what we're seeing on the platform. But we're also seeing people realize the what was good part about those virtual events. And we're seeing nonprofits get really innovative with hybrid events. So they're bringing it an in-person component, but they're also expanding their reach far beyond their physical limitations to donors all over the country through a
0: hybrid model. And so let's unpack that because you said they're getting creative about it. So what are some of the creative things you're seeing?
1: You know, one of our customers just had a big gala and we saw um, them actually do an online auction. Through the gala. So auctions, galas, those things go hand in hand. That's not exciting. But what we thought was really cool about this event is um, they actually used our virtual events platform and our hybrid events platform, Classy Live, and they hosted an auction where people on site could participate online through their phones. So there wasn't a physical, you know, paddle raise or anything like that. That was all happening digitally. And people were tuning in from all over the country for that auction as well. So you were engaging people in real time in the room virtually, and you were engaging people at home in their pajamas, maybe coming in and actually um, bidding for those items. So we saw this really cool, innovative hybrid approach where these beautiful dressed up people were in the room um, bidding online and the people at home in their pajamas were as well.
0: I love that. I absolutely love that. Anything else that's really kind of creative with hybrid events right now?
1: You know, I think I would just say that we were surprised at how many people really embraced the virtual and hybrid event platforms throughout the past year. You know, we did an event survey earlier in the year where we took a look at donors and and how they wanted to attend events prior to analyzing the data from stocks. Start- state of modern philanthropy. And we were finding um, that a good chunk of donors actually were saying that they participated in virtual events over the past two years. They'd be interested in continuing to participate in either a virtual virtual or a hybrid way. So this really, we thought events were going to come back. People were going to really, you know, get offline and want to be in person. And what we found is people have the desire to want to do both. They want the option. And so if you're a nonprofit and you're not giving your donors that option, you're missing an audience.
0: Absolutely. And I'll also say, I do think the hybrid option makes events more accessible for people who are introverts and also Mm -hmm. for people who are neurodivergent or like, oh yeah, events are loud. I don't, I don't, I don't do so well in them. So it's also like, it's a great way to expand your audience to folks who would otherwise just not come.
1: I I completely agree with you. Not everybody, you know, wants to get dressed up and go to a gala. And a lot of us, especially over the past year, have, you know, gone a little more introverted uh, because we've been able to. And so we feel a little bit more comfortable in front of a screen.
0: And, And I will share with you, This was a unique idea that a client of mine had. They ended up deciding not to do it, but it's like, oh my gosh, what a great idea. They talked about doing an at-home New Year's Eve event where essentially the charcuterie and whatever appetizers and a bottle of champagne are all delivered to your house. And everyone... Get literally it's a it's a 15 minute event, you know. So so everyone gets on online 10 minutes before New Year's and they're on for five minutes after. But it really is it is a countdown together, New Year's Eve event. And part of what I loved about that is um at this point in my life, New Year's is not really an event that I'm likely to go out for. Um, it just isn't for a lot of reasons. But you know, but so I was like, yeah, what a great way to to make New Year's Eve accessible for your supporters.
1: I think that's a great idea. I mean, who wants to pay sit for the set menu or pay the expensive cover charge on New Year's Eve. That's a fantastic idea. Um, The one other point I do want to add about events that I think is really important for the audience um, is just to talk a little bit about churn rates and events as well, because we know they're, uh, they're back We know they're bringing in highly motivated donors, but we're also, to no surprise, seeing higher churn rates with events. So ticketed events, after about six months, we see about 37% churn rate. Um, Events with that peer-to-peer component we talked about is about a 27% rate. So we know they're bringing motivated donors in, but they're bringing them in once. And so what can your nonprofit do to actually turn those new donors that have come in through an event into lifetime supporters. I think that's a really important thing to call out um, because as we know, donor retention, donor acquisition is a huge challenge for the nonprofit sector. And so it's about recognizing Um, the fact that a lot of these donors, according to our data, will never give again. And we don't want to see that. We want to continue to challenge that status quo. And so how can we nurture these event donors to be motivated beyond that one event, to really share the impact of your mission, to continue to talk to them so that you don't just
0: count on them once a year? And how do we do that? How do we turn those first-time donors into lifetime donors?
1: You know, I think we find time and time again. Um, we every fall we do a, a report called "Why America Gives," which really, again, it's a donor sentiment survey. So it's not talking to the nonprofits; it's really finding out from donors why they like to give. The number one reason that we get year after year in doing that report is that donors want to give when they can see the impact of their dollars. And so, I, you know, this isn't anything new this is something that we've been told and so if a if a donor's coming in through an event they're running a 5k for you you know you're a a cancer organization you're a cure-based organization they're running a 5k they think they've done their part because they've run the 5k i cannot stress enough how much you one have to um talk to those donors about what the impact of that event was so what their run dollars meant for, you know, children that might have that disease, you know, what it meant for finding a cure for that disease, how they were able to fund something because of the dollars you gave for that event, and then continue throughout the year to really talk about that impact. And um, I think, you know, it's, again, not groundbreaking, but I think it's the number one thing that we need to continue to do.
0: It's interesting you say that. My husband and I, we attended an event earlier this year for a humane society. And about a month or six weeks after we attended the event, and of course, we got a couple amazing thank yous immediately following. But about a month or six weeks afterward, I got an email. um, And the subject line was something like, I got my surgery today, exclamation point. And I'm like, oh, surgery. So of course, I look at it. It is an adorable puppy that got fixed that day. And you know, just a beautiful photo of that puppy, and it's like, thanks to you, and because you came to the event, I was able, I was able, to get my surgery today, and I have a long, bright future ahead of me. Thank you. And it, it I will say, it, um, it touched me. I was like, wow, what a great piece. What a really great piece.
1: And who can say no to those puppy eyes?
0: This is true. This is also very true. Um, but but I'll show you, with you. That's also an organization that does such incredible work on recurring giving. And I saw a lot about recurring giving in the State of Philanthropy report.
1: Yes, it's a it's a topic that we really try and dig into every single year through this report because we know it's so important for all nonprofits. We know retention. You know it's something like 80% of donors will never come back again. We we have a major retention problem in the, in this sector. And so we really want to dig in to understand what the trends are that we're seeing in recurring giving. And then because we're a technology platform, how can technology actually help your organization um, break down the fact that 80% of donors will never come back? Like how can we make our tech better to better serve nonprofits for, for retention? So, um, you know, what what we're seeing is is the the model is working in terms of when a donor is made, or when a donation, I should say, is made, that donor 60% of the time comes back directly to a donation page. So they're not coming back again through a peer-to-peer campaign. They're not coming back in that way. They're going straight to your organization to a donation page. So we see that like big intent to come back. They're looking for you again. Um, The time in between that first and the second donation can can vary based on what we're looking at. But um, we do we do see that. So that's one thing that's working. You want to make sure that whatever your donation page looks like is really optimized. You're converting those donors that land on your donation page. And then, um, in terms of recurring giving, you know, we actually have quite a few different ways that you can give on a regular basis through classy. So you can give monthly, weekly, quarterly, semi-annually, and, um, to no surprise monthly is our most popular frequency um and we're actually seeing that have less churn rate too so when people are giving on a monthly basis compared to our other frequencies they're they're giving they're giving regularly and we're seeing less churn
0: absolutely and you've also got average gifts in there and we we've all heard these stats before but it's always worth just repeating this so average monthly gift is $31. So I do some quick math. I multiply that times 12. I think that's $372 a year versus the average annual gift, which is a hundred bucks. So, so literally a recurring donor could give almost four times more.
1: And, and I think that sometimes we discount these smaller gifts. it doesn't seem like it's going to have that big of an impact. Is it going to pay for that dog surgery? Probably not. That one-time $31 gift. However, what we see with this is it allows more people to give um, as well. So, So much of the emphasis in our industry is placed on major donors and major gifts. And this um, we can debate all day the, the power struggle between major donors and, and the nonprofits. But to me, what this is showing is those small monthly gifts make a difference. This is ongoing support for your organization that allows you to plan. And then to your point, a little adds up, right? So so when we're calling our major donors and asking them once a year for gifts, it is wonderful. You should a hundred percent do that, but you should not discount the small monthly regular gifts. Cause like you said, $31 adds up over time.
0: Mm-hmm. And and I just want to make sure I understood this number in your report. The average organization on your platform has 252 monthly recurring gifts.
1: Yes. So that is an average across, you know, all 5,000 plus customers that we measured for this report. So on average, there are 262 people that give on a regular basis. Obviously, there are organizations at all stages on our platform in their recurring journey. So some have a lot more than that, and then some are just getting started. But um, having that ongoing support from 200 plus people on a regular basis can make huge impact.
0: And, and, you know, obviously then I, I do the math and I'm like, okay, wow. 252 times, I'm going to keep my math simple, 250 donating households times 30 bucks a month. That's $7,500 a month. Times 12 months? Yeah, times 12. See, now you're going to make me do higher math. I think that's no, not- No, I'm not going to I, I think, I well, I was, I was going to say, I think that's 90,000 a year from literally pe- people just giving you 30 bucks a month.
1: Mm-hmm. And depending on- your definition for your organization on what a major donor is, that could easily fall within your definition of major donor. Yeah.
0: Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Mm -hmm. So I just, I wanted us to talk about that a little bit because I do think while we all know the numbers, kind of like we all know we're supposed to save for retirement um, and then we don't. So I just think it's so critical for us to look at that recurring giving
1: it really is i think recurring giving can sometimes be overlooked and and i do want to point out that recurring giving is not just a button on a page like you have to put a strategy behind it you have to understand how to nurture recurring donors so they don't so they don't churn um so it's more it's more than just, oh, I'm going to turn on a recurring giving button mm-hmm. and I'm going to give people the option. There are different things you can do through your technology. Making recurring default is really great. You know, making sure you're continuing to nurture them, treating them as your little VIP group of recurring donors so that they continue that support, uh, I think is is really important.
0: And I, I think... I think you. This was true not just for recurring donors, but also for one-time donors. But you also talk about the more choices you give your donors in terms of how they give, the more they're going to give. Whether that's a once once a year or a monthly. Can you say a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. I, well, what I, what I think is the most important thing for me that came out of this is payment options. And that might seem really boring and really elementary, but you know, donors are donors are people people are used to seeing lots of different payment options. And you would assume that if somebody is motivated enough to come to your page and make a donation, that they're also motivated to get off the couch and go grab their credit card. The fact of the matter is that is not true. And so um, if you want to increase conversion rates, then you're going to have to offer the types of payments that people are used to seeing Everywhere that they shop, if you will. Um, and, and I think what was so incredible for us is when we actually dug into the numbers, these payment options were actually, um, increasing the size of gifts. So one of the options that we have at Classy is ACH. So people can pay really quickly through bank transfer. Um, what we found is that the average one-time gift, so this is not recurring, just one-time gift through ACH was two times larger than that of credit card. And
0: and real quick, real quick, why do you think that is?
1: Like, I, I would say it's ease of use. It is, you are capturing attention in the moment. You want to convert people very quickly and you want them to not leave that page on their desktop for a week. You don't want them to look at it on their mobile phone and then walk away and get distracted with the television because they mm-hmm. didn't get up and get their credit yeah. card. So when you can capture their attention in the moment, convert them quickly, then what I think is you're also capturing that innate human desire to give really quickly in the moment. And so I, I, we don't like to hypothesize with the data. We like to just give the data and uh, and let you all decipher it alongside us. But Um, In my gut, if I had to guess, it's probably something like that.
0: Okay. Okay. I I also was curious because, and again, if I read this chart correctly, I think people that give on desktop have a higher conversion rate than those giving on mobile.
1: That is true. That is something um, that I will tell you our product team is digging into. So we put this report out very much to serve the nonprofit space, but it, whenever we pull the data, it is very eye-opening to us too. And there are different things that we see that pique our interest that we want to dive into. So yes, um, what we are seeing is mobile traffic um, is higher to Almost almost every campaign type on the Classy platform. So you are getting more traffic from mobile, but conversion rates are higher on desktop. And so what that is showing us is that there are a lot of people coming to your campaign pages through mobile and those conversion rates need to improve, need to be better. So I think this is also one of the reasons why payment options help, you know, we launched PayPal not until the fall of last year. So, um, we didn't have a ton of data on PayPal in the report, only about three months, but, um, immediately we saw that the, the average donation one-time gift on PayPal was about one and a half times higher than that of credit cards. So um, again, we think that's going to help capture people in the moment, especially on mobile, when we know they're on the go and they're going, and we know a lot of traffic is coming from mobile. And then they're also um, giving more as well.
0: And is it your sense or does the data show like people abandon mobile and then go to desktop to make the contribution? Or are those pretty much two separate universes people go on mobile or people go to the campaign from desktop
1: that you know that's a great question our our data doesn't really capture abandonment and then the same person coming back so i can't say for certain what i what i will say is that i think most discoveries happening on mobile um, we're seeing it with those traffic numbers with more coming from mobile. And if I was an organization, I would not want to risk that this person is going to drop on mobile and come to desktop. So that that I don't know if it's happening, but I wouldn't want to take that risk.
0: Yep, I get it. I get it. Um, I also was kind of fascinated by uh, conversion rates based on social channel. And, you know, that it's not it's not much of a leap from mobile to say, okay, well everyone's got Facebook and Instagram and Twitter on their phone, or almost everyone does. And so, you know, like well, what are the conversion rates? And I was kind of startled that my favorite social media platform has the highest conversion rate, which is LinkedIn. I was like, woo, woo, way to go, LinkedIn.
1: Yes, it was so, so interesting when we looked at campaign traffic from social media. So when you look at all the, um, the social channels and we looked at LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. So we looked at all the majors. Uh, we, we are seeing that Facebook is driving the most traffic to campaigns. So no surprise there about 83%, a little over 83% of all social traffic going to a campaign page is from Facebook. But LinkedIn is bringing uh, more motivated donors to your to your donation pages. So LinkedIn is converting at the highest rate. Um, it's about 50% on desktop, which is... That's an incredible conversion rate. So we know that LinkedIn has very highly motivated donors. So if you are capturing their attention on LinkedIn, it might be a smaller group overall that you're bringing to your page, but they are converting
0: more. And did anyone dig into the data? Are these more associations and more business type nonprofits that are getting conversions from LinkedIn or are these, you know, pretty much across the board, all nonprofits?
1: Great question. You know, we're we're not able to break down um, or we did not break this down by cause category. So I can't say with certainty. What I will tell you just more anecdotally of what we've seen from our customers is most of our customers are on linkedin nowadays um we're also doing some work with linkedin uh, actually so we've had a we've been working with the linkedin for nonprofits team and i know they're they're saying that a lot of major donors are also um they're helping nonprofits connect with major more highly motivated donors um through linkedin so i i would guess that it's um runs the gamut but no data to really back me
0: up there So I got to ask you for a favor. Okay. I did not know there was a LinkedIn for nonprofits team and I need to get whoever runs that team on this podcast. Is there any way you could introduce me? Because I want that person on this podcast. (laughs)
1: They're fabulous. They're a wonderful team. If you haven't gone to their Facebook page, they have a great newsletter that they put out. We're great friends of theirs and they are producing some some great content. So I'll hook you up. Don't worry. And and wait a minute. (laughs) And,
0: And I just have to ask, so the LinkedIn T, the LinkedIn team for nonprofits has a Facebook page.
1: They or sorry. Oh my gosh, did I say Facebook? Yeah. They're going to slap my wrist. Okay, I was like, page. I was like,
0: paraphaday, day how could they do that? How? <laughs>
1: Oh, let's, let's see. Like they're going <laughs> to listen to this and slap my hand on that one. They have their own LinkedIn page okay. you
0: can go to. <laughs> okay. I, I, I still, I would love an introduction because I really did not know that, uh, that there was a LinkedIn team for nonprofits. And again, I, I am a power user of LinkedIn. I actually think it's for nonprofits, one of the most useful social media platforms to be on. Um, and so I, that's why I was so intrigued. I'm like, wow, I was not expecting highest conversion from LinkedIn.
1: Yep. And we've done some joint content with them really digging into how nonprofits can best use that platform. Uh, so if you go to classy.org slash blog, you can see everything there in our resources. Um, but we have done some great joint joint content with their team. Oh,
0: wow. That's awesome. I will, I look forward to checking that out. Thank you. And, um, the last thing I wanted to talk about, and I, I think, I think this episode is going to air in September. And so, and you know, l- Friends, uh, those of you that listen, you probably know we, we're we planners Successful Nonprofits, so we're often recording months in advance. So it's like June 2nd or 3rd, and, you know, we're currently recording an episode for September. But it means that I'm also starting to think about the end of the year already, because we're recording something that's going to be right toward that last quarter of the year. And you also had some interesting data that's not really a surprise, but about the end of the year. Can you talk about that?
1: Yes. I mean... It's never too early to think about year-end. We're already thinking about it in June. You should definitely be thinking about it in the fall when this when this airs. Um, but on the Classy platform, about one-third. So 30% of all of our donation volume happens between Giving Tuesday and December 31st. Not a surprise. We know that this happens. Um, I think what we found is just validating how important Giving Tuesday still is. We we actually see nonprofits on the platform acquire about 10 times more donors on Giving Tuesday as compared to any other day of the year. And conversion rates almost double on Giving Tuesday. The one thing that was really interesting to me coming out of this is... When you look at churn rates and the month that people are most likely to churn, recurring givers are more likely to churn in January than any other month of the year when we dug into it. So what that is telling me, again, if I'm hypothesizing the data, is that you're bringing in this huge influx of donors at the year end. And then come January, nonprofits have not done a good job nurturing them and they are dropping off. And so that should be a big lesson to us that... Um, how do we talk to these donors? How do we share the impact of their donation? How do we continue to nurture them in January? Don't be afraid to talk to them again because they came through at year end. Like
0: you got to get right in there at the beginning of the year before it's too late. And so I just want to ask for clarification because when I read that, I thought to myself, okay, are you saying either A, they made their contribution in December, and then they drop off in January, like they're a monthly donor, they unsubscribe in January, or are you saying, okay, they made their commitment at some point during that year, but then, you know, two, three, four, eleven 11 months later, January comes around, they have a new year's resolution and they're like, okay, I'm cleaning up my giving and I'm dropping. Which of those two is it? We're, we're
1: saying the latter. So we didn't specifically look at donors that came through in that giving period. So that's actually a great clarification. Um, but we are seeing about forty times higher churn happening in January. So I, I think it could be a combination of those two things. I think it's the influx of donors. and then they're saying, "Oh gosh, what you know, what did I do? i'm gonna I'm gonna maybe turn off this recurring donation or it could be around that kind of new year new you cleansing of but a lot of people do budgeting in January and things like that. And so, as you look at a recurring donation, a lot of, nonprofits treat it as a set it and forget it. And that is not how we should be treating our recurring donors. Like you should not give them the option to make your donation a budget cut item in January. That should not be the case.
0: And so what are some of the things that you're seeing organizations on your platform do at the end end of December, very beginning of January to cut down on that churn?
1: It's a, great, it's a great question. One, I'll say that we're looking into it from just a product perspective. It's really interesting to us. We want to look at why that is and what we can do through our technology to help. Um, two, I will tell you, um, we have heard from certain customers that are nervous to communicate with their donors in January because they've been asked for so much over the giving season. So um, that is more of a what not to do than a what to do. Um, but I've I've heard that come up. Oh, I can't go back. I can't talk to these donors. We've kind of hounded them during giving season. So we really can't go back to them in January. I would disagree with that. I would say it's never too early to start nurturing those relationships. Um, some things that we found that work really, really well are just launching creative campaigns in January. So um, there's a, a customer of ours, if we're going back to Cute Dogs, that works with Rescue Beagles specifically. And they immediately after giving season kick off a Valentine's Day campaign in January. And it's really feel good. It's really light lift. Um they make these little digital Valentine's cards with the the beagles and all their adoptable beagles, and you can send them to people. And they so they do a big push for year end, and then they immediately go into this like really lovable impact driven campaign starting in January um, with that kind of Valentine's Day as the timeliness.
0: that That's awesome. Quick question, though, is that is that to renew those donors that have dropped off, or is that kind of just to in general get donors?
1: it's a combination of both. So it's very much a nurture for them. um, And and it's a little bit of an acquisition model. So what they're doing is they're nurturing current donors. So making sure they don't see that drop off in January by going back to them, giving them cute photos of beagles, telling them about all these animals they've helped, telling them about all the beagles that need more. And then they treat it as a peer-to-peer campaign as well um, to acquire new donors. And, And we know through our research about four out of five donors that come to an organization through a peer-to-peer campaign are new donors to an organization. So it's a great acquisition model. Um, And so they're encouraging their current donor base to send out these cards and then encouraging the friends that they send them to, to donate and send more cards. So they do treat it both as a retention and an acquisition play.
0: That's good to know. That's very good to know. Well, Krista, I hate to switch gears, but with so little time left, I've got to get to the -the off-the-map question. And this, this off-the-map question is not that far off the map. So I understand that you're an executive sponsor at Classy for four incredible organizations. And I'd like to know more about what that means.
1: Yeah, so at Classy, um, we have an executive sponsor program, which means... Uh, Many of our customers are paired with someone um, at a director level or above to really be their advocates internally and and talk to them, troubleshoot with them, strategize with them. And this is in addition to their regular everyday account team. And so I am really lucky to be uh, the executive sponsor for four amazing organizations, the Trevor Project, Feeding San Diego, uh, the Food Bank of Contra Costa and Solana, and Feed More. So lots of food banks. I'm really passionate about making sure um, there's equity in, in food insecurity. And then the Trevor Project is just a fabulous organization. They're the largest uh, LGBTQ plus uh, suicide prevention and crisis interve- intervention organization in the country
0: and, and I and I will say I always love telling people what the Trevor Project's big bold goal is, which is to end suicide among LGbtQ plus youth and and every time I say that you see me on screen I'm, I'm I have a shaved head but every time I say that the hair on my arms just stands out.
1: I was fortunate enough to um, be with the Director of Community Philanthropy a couple of weeks ago, and she shared with me that suicide rates for young people drop significantly, and I will not say the data point because I will butcher it, um, significantly if a trusting adult simply asks, are you thinking about suicide? Mm -hmm.
0: It's that powerful. It's in the words, and they do amazing work. They do. And so so thank you for what you're doing as an executive sponsor as well. That is... Um, incredible work. Thank you. Of course. It's my pleasure to serve these organizations. Well, Krista, I'm so glad you came on. And of course, I want our listeners to know how they can reach out to you. And the first thing, listeners, if you want to see this report, it is an interactive website. It's super cool. You can go to the points you want uh, or the points that interest you most. Just go to donationtrends.classy.org. That's donationtrends. Dot classy.org. We're also going to link to that in our show notes. And also don't forget, you can always go to classy.org and see everything that they're doing. They have a really cool platform set up. If you're looking for one, it's worth your time to go over to classy.org and see what they're doing. Krista, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been a great conversation. All right, friends, if you have really enjoyed this episode, if you have gotten something out of it, if you're like, huh, I'd not thought about recurring giving or, hmm, I'd not thought about the churn that happens in January and we need to be doing things to retain those donors so they don't go away in January. And you think other people might be interested in this episode, and for those same reasons, please forward it. Maybe it's to a colleague, maybe to a board member, maybe to a mentor, but please forward this episode to someone. And if you're going to the effort to forward it, please also consider rating and reviewing the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your streaming app of choice. Personally, I like Podcast Republic. It's not the most uh, popular streaming app, but it is the one I typically use. And finally, if you want more episodes like this one, first of all, check out episode 95, Monthly Giving, The Sleeping Giant, with Erica Wazdorp. And also, Make sure you download and listen to episode 166, I Quintupled Online Donations, and You Can Too, with Shane Michael. That, listeners, is our show for this week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive. And, you know, the lawyers, they require that I say this after every episode even if we don't talk about anything having to do with tax, legal, or accounting work. I'm not an accountant nor a lawyer, and neither I nor the Goldenberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. You could honestly just go to our website and see we don't do that. But anyway, if that's what you're in need of, please, please, please find a licensed, qualified consultant in your area and get their advice. If you're not sure what type of qualified and licensed person you should be talking to or you don't know someone in that arena, you can always reach out to me. I'm happy to help you think through it and make a connection if I know someone.